Hello and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 188, John and Mike Talk to Minda Hearts. I'm your host, John. And I'm Mike. John, how are you doing? Uh, Mike, I'm well, but you're not Wendy. That is correct. And I cannot claim to be because she's a Wonder Woman and I'm not. Uh, but I had so much fun co-hosting uh, with Wendy in the spring and doing this uh, podcast swap and partnership with the HR Social Hour that uh, we have the opportunity to bring it back. So here I am. Mike, I'm really glad you did. I'm glad that somebody notified me before we did it, so it wasn't a total shock. I had so much fun hosting the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I know Wendy's going to be over there today. Uh, this It's going to release the same day this show comes out. Mike, I've never had a chance to actually thank a sponsor directly for sponsoring the show. So thank you and thank Talent Magnet Institute for sponsoring this episode, the entire month of August, and also this fantastic chat we just had about developing leaders. John, as I've shared uh, on our episodes and in the community, I could not uh, value our partnership any more than I do. It's been such a uh, great community to be a part of, and I love supporting the work that you and Wendy are both putting out there, and thank you for the support that you give to us as well. So uh, we just hope to bring some value to this amazing international listening audience, and uh, hope they'll really enjoy this, uh, this episode as well. Timing is real interesting, Mike, because we just talked to Jules Breslin a couple episodes ago. I think that show released the day that the big launch, relaunch of Talent Magnet Institute happened. So it, it seems like there's a lot of exciting things going on. I was really excited about the fact, too, that we had a guest like Minda for this particular episode for the two of us to talk to. John, I've been a friend of uh, Minda's for quite some time now and uh, have valued that friendship. Um, I'll even say the mentorship, the insights and information that she's given me. And I know that Jules really enjoyed uh, being on. Jules is my leadership engagement director, one of my partners here at the Talent Magnet Institute. So excited that we can be taking uh, and to have Wendy on the uh, Talent Magnet podcast um, and have her interviewing Minda there, have us uh, partnering and interviewing Minda here and um, hopefully just continuing to introduce amazing humans to this listening audience. For those of you that may have missed this previous crossover, I had the great fortune to interview Katrina Kibben, and Mike and Wendy spoke to Katrina at that time. That show is out there. We hope you'll check after you listen to this episode. If you don't regularly listen to Talent Magnet Institute, make sure you go subscribe, but then go listen to this episode that Wendy we'll have with Minda one-on-one because it's a very different conversation. I think they're nice bookends for each other. Absolutely. And we're so excited to welcome Minda Hearts onto this show. Minda is a well-connected, sought-after speaker, thought leader, advocate, friend, and frequently speaking on topics of advancing women of color, leadership, diversity, and entrepreneurship. In 2018, Minda was named one of the 25 emerging innovators by American Express. She's an assistant professor of public service at NYU's Robert F. Wagner Graduate School of Public Service, the founder of the Memo LLC, a career development company for women of color that I will share that my firm, uh, my executive search firm that I'm a part of Centennial is actually a business partner with Minda and her brother, Mike. And that's a great partnership. 
Uh, Minda was also chosen by General Assembly to serve as one of their dream mentors. She's a best-selling author of The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table, and has a new book coming out because Minda is not done yet. She is just beginning the disruption that she's created and the education and elevation that she's created across the country and beyond with a new book called Right Within, How to Heal from Racial Trauma in the Workplace. We're going to go to the interview. And then once we've wrapped up with Minda, we'll come back to wrap things up. Minda, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike, I'm happy to be here. And now as we kick off the conversation, Minda, the the first question is always, what's in your glass? Oh, nothing fun, actually. Um, I am drinking uh, a a juice smoothie, uh, trying to get my life together, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Minda, we certainly understand that. This is a a non-traditional recording hour for us, but we really do appreciate you taking part, juice smoothie, water, whatever it may be. I've got to ask, you've had this interesting career that led you to starting the memo in 2015 and all the things you're doing now. Can you talk a bit about that path? Yeah, thanks, John. Good to, good to be here, too. Um, you know, it's crazy when I think about it. Um, I wake up and some people be like, oh, you know, are, how did you get here? And I'm like, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> and I, I, I guess basically we just at certain points in our life, I think that we come to a crossroads And we have to make a decision on if we want to make certain places and spaces better than we found them. And when I was working in corporate America, I was experiencing a lot of racialized aggression and trauma. And I used to think that that was just normal workplace behavior, John. And then I realized, well, actually, um, dignity, respect, equity, belonging, that should be table stakes. And I started to think about what that would mean. Um, for my career and for other women who looked like me in the workplace, what would it look like for us to thrive and not just survive? And I started to think about that and wrestle with that back in 2012, but I didn't actually do anything about that thought, activated actually, until 2015 when I started my company to say, okay, even as women, we don't experience the workplace the same. So how can we focus on the intersectional lens so that all women succeed in the workplace and not just a select few? And so Really, I birthed the memo out of a pain point that I experienced, and I thought, well, maybe I can help other people heal from some of that as well. Minda, what do you believe is the single biggest issue organizations face when it comes to developing female leaders of color? And how would you encourage HR pros to help address that issue and opportunity in the workplace? Yeah, I actually think there's so much opportunity. I'm actually really optimistic about the the future of work as we know it to be because there is a lot of opportunity. I mean, some may see it as a challenge, but I see it as an opportunity. And I think once organizations, companies and HR pros, once we're intentional about solving for people who don't always look like we do or don't always identify the way we do, then we can actually get to something. But when we pretend that these inequalities don't exist, Uh, then that's when we're never going to get to a solution. But I think that oftentimes people say, oh, we just need to fill the pipeline or we just need to hire more diverse candidates. But it's not so much that. It's what about the equity? When you do get these individuals into the company, do they feel like this is a place they can thrive? And I think that's the piece of the puzzle that a lot of companies and HR pros are missing because you can hire 
20 black women, but if the environment is toxic, those 20 black women are not going to stay. And so making sure that we have uh, mechanisms in place so that people feel like this is a place that sees them and that is advancing and committed to retaining them. Minda, have you seen a shift, particularly with what we've dealt with in the last 18 months? Have you seen any improvement there when it comes to Okay, yeah, we, we go out and we identify folks that aren't uh, that aren't like me or aren't like Mike necessarily. Are we doing the right things to retain and promote and grow people that are that are not us? <laughs> you know, I think that obviously there's still a lot of work to do, but I think that we're positioned to do that work even more better now because we're aware, right? Everyone is almost on the same page. Whether you agree or disagree, we all know that the workplace isn't working for everyone the same. And I think that right. now that companies are at least many companies and organizations are willing to talk about that, right? We're willing to talk about, have a dialogue around what that means and what are the resources needed to make sure that we don't return back to normal, but we return back to better. And so I am seeing companies, I'm seeing leaders say, hey, well, maybe we don't have the right management team to take us to the next level, right? Maybe it needs to look differently. Maybe people need new business competencies, you know, um, conflict resolution skills, you know, certain things that I think before we're just like, oh, well, let's just see how it goes and be very passive toward a solution. But I'm definitely seeing more companies being active and, and stating that. I think before John and Mike, it was, you know, a lot of businesses were scared to even talk about race, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's just pretend that these things don't exist. Again, I think a lot of businesses and leaders realize that we can't ignore what certain pain points are for others. And we know that two things can be true at the same time. You two may never experience a certain thing that I experience, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, right? And so we have to realize that we can solve for for both issues, right? Yeah, what you just referenced, I feel like is one of those eye-opening experiences that so many are having right now that two things can both exist and both be true. Um, is something that I more people are are getting it, right? That is the case. Minda, one of the reasons that we wanted to talk to you, not only because of the work you've done, you've got a new book coming out, and it's about a week or so from when this show is released, uh, right within. What's the elevator pitch for the book? And you have written several books now. How did that experience change from, from the first time when you wrote the memo? Oh, great question, John. You know, it's funny because I, <laughs> a lot of people don't know this, but I really had no intentions on writing any more books after the memo. You know, I addressed the piece of my story and other story and really just helped maybe widen the conversation toward what it's like for women of color in the workplace. So I thought that I was somewhat done with that, but not my advocacy in the workplace, but writing books. And then hearing from so many black and brown women over the last couple of years, I realized that there was a common theme that these experiences that they've had inside the workplace still are troubling them, right? Still causing a lot of pain. Um, They may leave one environment and go to another and then they're triggered again, right? Because similar behaviors are in these other workplaces. And I realized that we can have as many conscious or unconscious bias trainings and all these sorts of things happening in the workplace. But ultimately, if we're not right within, if we don't figure out what healing from these traumas look like, then we're never going to be the best versions of ourselves, right? So it's nice when we have our colleagues who 
decide that they have an aha moment and and they want to do the work. But what if they don't do the work, right? How do we still keep thriving in a workplace that may not always be thinking about us? And I thought about Lauren Hill's song, um, Doo-Wop, how you gonna win if you ain't right within? You know, we can make all the money we want, we can get the titles, but if we haven't released ourselves from that toxicity, then it's only gonna cause us and we won't be be able to experience the workplace. And so that's what I really started to investigate. What would it look like if we talked about racial trauma in the workplace? Because we talk about, you know, sexual harassment and other forms of discrimination, but we don't talk about racialized trauma. And for me, I'll make it personal. I spent 15 years in my former career. There wasn't a day I didn't go to work where I wasn't racially aggressed in some way, shape or form. When the five o'clock hour hits, it still goes with me, right? You know, it's still troubles me. It's still, I still think about some of those early experiences to the later experiences. And I realize, wow, I got some inner work to do so that I can release myself of pain that I should have never had to experience in the first place. And so I want women of color to be free, but I also want managers and leaders to realize that you can't continue to let unchecked bias run rampant through the workplace because this is what happens when it does, right? And if we're not realizing what are the tools and the skills that we need to have to combat bad behaviors. Let's normalize that women of color don't have to leave the workplace because they've been aggressed. But what about the people who are doing the aggressing? Maybe this isn't the place for them instead of us always feeling like we don't belong here, right? Because nobody's showing up for us. Nobody's activating their allyship. So I really just wanted to lean into this racialized aggression that's happening in the workplace. Because if racism is there, then homophobia is there, then ageism is there, (laughs) then all these other issues are in the workplace. And I think um, we all have the, we we all have experiences and and the workplace can be better. It's interesting. You said you didn't want to write a book, another book, or hadn't really necessarily thought about another book. You've got Right Within coming out. As I understand, you've got a children's book coming out too. How did that come to pass? Like if you say, I'm not going to write a book again, not only am I writing (laughs) another book, which I look forward to to reading because I think it, it's going to be interesting for me to understand a very different perspective and how can I help there. But for children, what are you trying to do there? How did that come to pass? Yeah, it's almost like, well, it's funny because I'm like, well, I guess Jeannie's out of the bottle, right? I was trying to put myself back in the bottle thinking that I didn't have anything else. <laughs> and now I'm out and I can't, I can't stop. Um, but the, the young adult book is called You Were More Than Magic, Black and Brown Girls Reclaiming Their Space and Their Voices. And I'm really excited ab- about that book that comes out in March of 2022, because a lot of the things that we all experience happen way before we get to the workplace, right? A lot of our early experiences shape who we show up to be in the workplace. And so I thought about for a younger version of myself, what were the words that I needed to hear so that I'd show up? knowing that I belonged in every room I entered by the time I got, you know, to be in my 20s after college. And I just want young girls to understand how to have difficult conversations much earlier, right? Because many of us don't know how to have them. And it, God, we needed those earlier in our lives, you know? And then also, too, for parents of those in the dominant majority who don't have, you know, children who are um people of color, little people of color, then what is it that you need to be talking about inside your home so that your children show up in these spaces exhibiting behaviors that aren't toxic later in life? And so I think that there's some really good work that we can do before we even get to the workplace as, you know, young adults so that we all have the skills to be our best selves. 
I just want to make sure I understand. It's young adult, not necessarily when I say kids book, like a little kids book. Yes. It is more not that yet. you know, middle school age. Like, <laughs> well, that's next, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Not not yet. Maybe you're seeing something I don't, but this one is more like junior high, uh, high school age kids. Yeah. Yeah, that early formation, the uh, you know, having children who are advocating for their friends in the school on sports teams in the community, if we can encourage them then, right? If we can get children younger and younger to bring all of these additional life skills with them, that's certainly one way, Minda, that you're going to help change the world and change the workforce and the way people show up in the future. So thank you for that. Thank you. Minda, so secure the seat. I've had the pleasure. I love when an author also has a podcast that allows you to really look into more about the perspectives that they un, unwrap and unfold and unveil from their writing. So secure the seat. I've been a follower for a very long time prior to you and I even knowing each other. Um, what's been the biggest surprise to you from having a podcast and having that show? Thank you, Mike. Uh, you know, I love Secure the Seat because we get to dive in into more under the hood on topics, which is really nice. And it's also a good way to build community. And what I love, too, is that I get to I get to have diverse voices like yourself um, and others on the podcast, because then we get to talk about things that maybe have been taboo. And it also shows that we have more in common than not. Right. You know, I do focus a lot of my work with women of color at the center, but at the core of it, uh, we all are interconnected. You know, I can't do this work without you and John. You can't do this work without me, right? And so I think bridging that gap um, is very, very important. And that's what I've been surprised, I think, by Secure the Seed is that, so it's funny, when I first started uh, the podcast, it, I really focused on just having guests who um, identified as uh, Black or Brown or women of color. Uh, but then as I started to dig even deeper, I'm like, you know, um, it's important that I also have diverse voices that I'm showing up and walking that out, too, and, and bringing different perspectives uh, to the table and showing that it's possible for us all to be in dialogue, even over a hard conversation. One of the things that we've done, Mendo, with our show in the last year or so is we started crowdsourcing from our guests. We've outsource some of our questions. So in this case, Talia Edmondson asks, when you look back at the last 12 months, where do you believe you've been the most impactful? You know, I would say probably for better or worse <laughs> during the pandemic, right? Um, because we all had to rethink what returning back to better looks like, right? And I realized that a lot of people were hurting. We were going through a syndemic, multiple pandemics at once. And I think for me, it was just not, I wanted to be able to just go in my bed and throw the cover over my, my head, uh, John, because I was just like, oh my gosh, there's just too much going on at once. But what I realized was I needed to still show up for folks, you know, that people were looking for me to still offer some thought leadership or some answers or just some, some things for us to further ponder on. And I feel like I was most impactful because I didn't run away, right? Even when things got a little bit harder, that I still stuck it out, that I was still, you know, on quote unquote, the proverbial front lines with folks. And I think that um, sometimes we just need to know that we're not alone, right? And I think I was most impactful just still being present, even during a tough time. That's awesome. Minda, so now it's time to move on to everyone's favorite part of our show, the half hour question connection. 
So the <laughs> first question I'm going to throw at you is what career did you dream of having when you were a child? Oh, that's, I love this question. I dreamed of being a dentist. Uh, I really wanted to. And then once I started taking all those chemistry classes, I'm like, okay, this is definitely not, not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Minda, I think it is safe to say in the time we've asked that question, dentist has never come up. Yeah. I don't think anybody's ever, we maybe heard vet. I don't think we've, I know we've never heard dentist. That's, that's excellent. Yes. (laughs) Who's one person you've gained in your network in the last year that you think more people should know? Mm, That's really great. I would probably say I actually had this person in my network, but I didn't get to know them outside in the ways that I know them now, uh, which is Kanika Tolver. She's also an author um, of a book called Career Rehab. And I think sometimes we have our Twitter friends or whatever, but really getting a chance to get to know people on a, a, a more humanized level. And I think everybody should know about her work. That's great. Love, love Kanika. Minda, with everything you have going on, how do you maintain balance? Yeah, that's tough. You know, I'm listening to my body more, Mike, because I, I'm by nature a workaholic. And so I'll just keep on the hamster wheel. But I realized that when my body says I'm tired uh, and it's like lay down, relax, those sorts of things, um, I'm definitely listening to my body. And I know that might sound a little cliche, but when my body tells me I'm tired, I don't fight her. I say, yes, I hear you. And I, and I go relax, you know, and that might be reading a book that might be working out, but I'm definitely listening to, to my body more. And that's where I find the self-care. Minda, how do you enjoy giving back to your community at large? Uh, well, I, I definitely love it through the work that I get to do, uh, the equity work at companies. I, I think for me, being a voice to go inside of companies and organizations and talk about the things that some women and you know other people of color or anybody that feels like they're on the margins aren't able to say without fear of maybe losing their job. And I feel like I get to be that voice in the workplace. And so I take it, take pride in being able to be that voice. Um, and so I feel like I'm able to give back in those ways because it costs less for me to do it and it may cost it more for somebody else. And so uh, mm-hmm. if I can give back in that way to, to lighten the load, then that's how I want to continue to be of service. Menda, your favorite movie of all time is? You guys are going to be really surprised by this and you're probably going to judge me very harshly once I say it. <laughs> never, never. Not here. Not, not, here. not after the answers we've had. <laughs> you know, Scarface is actually my favorite favorite movie. <laughs> I, I awesome. think it's fair to say that we've not gotten that as a favorite. But hey, no judgment. That's <laughs> Thank you, John. I appreciate that. <laughs> How about the first concert you remember attending? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, well, so I grew up in church, so I was always at a gospel concert, but so I don't, but I didn't consider that like concert like when I was growing up. So my first like concert that I wanted to go to that my parents didn't take me to <laughs> was um, Puff Daddy and the Family. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And then what was the last show or the current show that you're binge watching? You know, the last show that I watched, um, well, two things I have to say. So White Lotus, I did binge watch that on HBO Max. And then I watched... Um, I was so tired, but I just had to finish it. it. Was the Bob Ross documentary on Netflix? So <laughs> I've not I've not watched that yet. Although I yeah. have hit plus and added it to my list. Yes, it's it's definitely worth it. <laughs> Everything I've heard about that Bob Ross doc is after you see it, you never want to do anything to support 
the machine around him again. Yes. You uh, think about my, a lot of machines. My plus two. You yeah. think a lot of you think about your own machine too after you watch you think about everything after <laughs> It is fair to say, Minda, that we've never had Scarface come up. I don't think anybody's ever mentioned Puff Daddy as their first concert either. So always enjoy the perspective of firsts. I have to ask though, so beyond those things you watch and listen to, what's a hobby or a thing you really like to do that may surprise other people? So this is also probably going to surprise because I don't often get asked this question. So thank you, John. Um, I like to collect vintage typewriters. So, oh, yes. So you, and, uh, you and Tom Hanks. Yes, yes. <laughs> Me and Tom. <laughs> I, I love them. Um, if you were come to my home, I have them in, in my living room, in my office. I, I just I love them so much. Um, they just bring me a lot of joy. So uh, that's where my antiquing comes into play. <laughs> Is that something that you've appreciated since you were a kid and wanted to be a dentist? Like, how did how did you get into typewriters? That's not something I think of our vintage, the people on this call, got away from typewriters. Yeah, you know, I just really like the aesthetics of, uh, the, of vintage typewriters, like, you know, 1930s, 40s, 50s, um, and some 60s. But I just feel like just aesthetically, they're just so beautiful. And even in their like as their aging state, they become even more beautiful. And so I guess I look at that in terms of just like life itself, that there's still a lot of give, even as we age, uh, we still have can find the most beautiful parts of ourselves. And so I just love the the look and aesthetics. And I just recently I bought um, from Lego, they put out a vintage typewriter um, edition. And so I now I don't know how to put it together, but I do have it. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> What is your favorite piece? If there was a fire and you had to grab one thing and run out, what is the one typewriter that you'd want to make sure you kept? Well, it probably wouldn't be my typewriters because they're the the vintage ones are very heavy, so I probably wouldn't get very <laughs> Fair fast. Enough. Fair <laughs> enough. But but what I would take with me is um, I do have I was gifted a um, a typewriter a vintage typewriter book so that maybe I could go back and look and see which ones I still need and be able to restart from scratch. So that book would be the first thing I grab and run off. (laughs) That's awesome. Minda, so the other thing that the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast does is pay it forward uh, with questions. So if you were able, or if you are able to ask the next guest of the podcast a question, what would that question be? I love this. Um, so I would ask, uh, because I love music, anybody who's ever uh, read or listened to my work, I love, love pop culture music. And so I would say, I would ask, what is one song that best describes you? We've had somebody ask, what would your entrance music be? So if you're speaking or doing something, what is that? I love that. What what describes you best? Excellent. Yeah. It is now in the book. So it will go to a future guest. Minda, cannot thank you enough again for taking part of this grand experiment. Wendy and I have been at this for a while, but we are so appreciative of Mike popping in. A co-host spot with us before. So much fun to have this conversation with you. I know you're going to be talking to Wendy, which will share that podcast as well through Mike's show. For those listeners that aren't connected with you, I'm sure they're going to want to now. Best way for them to reach you out there, podcast, book, everything and anything you want them to know. How do they get in touch? Yeah, well, again, thank you both for having me. This was a lot of fun. Uh, you can go to mendahearts.com and all my social handles are there. Find me, engage with me on your favorite one. We will have that in the show notes. And again, thank you for making time and, and we will talk to you again very soon. Thank you. 
Mike, we talked a little bit about this with Minda, I think, before we recorded with her. I thought I had met her, and I hadn't. I was embarrassed yeah. that I'd had a chance to talk to her. I know that both you and Wendy have had a chance to talk to her in the past, and I'm really thankful that you were be able to be part of this conversation because, wow, just a tremendous conversation with Minda. I, I had a lot of fun, and, and I hope you did, too. Yeah, absolutely. Any learning, anything that you took away that maybe you didn't know before? not having maybe asked some of the questions that we got a chance to talk to her about? Well, John, one of the things that I valued so much um, in the interview is when Mendo said, guys, I thought I was only going to write one book and be done. And I love, love, love to see, hear, and experience leaders that something is happening with inside of them, right? That they're you know, the fact that she's coming out with her next book and she has a young adults book that's going to be coming out and so on and so forth. I think the movement that she has created, coupled with the time that that movement has happened in, is changing lives, hearts, and minds around women of color, leaders of color, racial trauma, and the value of building relationships that matter. I absolutely agree. I also found her collection of interest. I don't think I've ever talked to somebody that collected typewriters. That was... (laughs) That's really interesting and fun, too. I hope that people will check out all of Minda's content, you know, her books. Uh, That new book is going to be out immediately. So if you haven't gotten a chance to order it yet, go ahead and do that. Make sure you're checking out her podcast, Secure the Seat, everything that she's doing. Minda told us how to get a hold of her in the interview. If listeners are not connected with you, Mike, and I'm sure they're going to want to be now, best way for them to reach you out there, Talent Magnet, anything and everything, let them know how to do that. John, so everyone can find me at Mike Sipple JR on your favorite social platform. Please send me a connection. There's nothing more that I enjoy than connecting with people from the HR Social Hour community. Also, uh, click over to talentmagnet.com. Check out what we have going on there. And be sure to join the HR Social Hour chat on Twitter the second and fourth Sundays of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern time. John, how about you? Typically, this is where I say thanks to the sponsor. So I am going to say thank you again, Mike, and the Talent Magnet Institute for sponsoring this episode. And it's for me, johntherman.com, for all things John Thurman, for the show, hrsocialhourpodcast.podbean.com. Listen, rate, review, share, follow. The simplest thing you can do, people ask us all the time, what can we do to help? Hit that follow button, whatever platform you use. Once you hit follow, you're going to get a new episode every week, and that helps us as we continue to build this community. International listeners, if you haven't checked out Talent Magnet Institute, there's great content for you there too. So be sure to check it out. Come come talk to us, to me and to Wendy, and then go talk to Mike. Uh, once you've done that, contact us because it's easier for us to hear from you than vice versa because we would love to have those conversations. Mike, I hope you're ready. I know you've listened to a lot of these in the past. So for the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast, I'm John. And I'm Mike. And as always, be sure to connect, give back, and network. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon.